Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, the Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa, and I am very excited to have our final guest of 2022 on today's podcast here, Brent Brodesky, who is the co-founder and CEO of Savant Wealth Management. Brent, thank you very much for taking some time out. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been, been looking forward to our conversation. Same here. And I think a lot of our audience will are looking forward to hearing what you have to say here today, because it, it's been an unbelievably interesting year, for better or for worse, in the RIA segment. And we've talked to a lot of people in similar roles throughout the year and gotten a lot of different perspectives on merger and acquisition activity. You know, Savant has obviously been very active for years in that market. Um, you've grown through M&A, um, but also grown organically. So looking forward to hearing sort of both sides of the, the story and also looking forward to getting your views on how do you think M&A will take shape in the RIA industry in 2023? So we have a lot to cover. Um, but before we do, Brent, would you mind just giving a brief overview of who Savant is, the types of clients that you work with, and how you position yourselves in the M&A ecosystem? Sure, sure. So we're uh, you know, a comprehensive wealth management firm. You know, just had my 30th uh, Savant anniversary. Uh, so we, we co-founded the current firm 30 years ago uh, out of Rockford, Illinois. Thank you. And, um, you know, we, you know, Rockford, Illinois is about 90 miles west of Chicago. So we started there, you know, and then we, we sort of put our, our feelers out uh, primarily in the Midwest. And then we've continued to expand uh, beyond that, uh, you know, both, you know, out, out west as well as uh, mid-Atlantic. We have a good presence and, uh, you know, looking to continue to expand uh, organically and inorganically. I think we have 25 offices now. We're, we're about 350 employees, about 115 advisors. You know, we, we really pride ourselves. you know, once upon a time we were an investment management firm and then it became financial planning and investments. And then it was more comprehensive wealth management. And, and really the business that we have and that we're building is, is really focused on helping build ideal futures for our clients, so you know, we're, we're really purveyors of wisdom and, and experience, helping people, you know, identify what matters to them and their family, and then you know, creating strategies, uh, portfolios, structures to give them confidence and increase their odds of success. So it's, you know, we work with almost ten thousand clients at this point. We manage about fourteen billion dollars of assets that range from ultra high net worth down to younger professionals that are are, are starting to accumulate. You know, and it's it's really creating a a platform that provides one stop shop finance. You know, obviously investment management, financial planning, uh, but we also have a very significant uh, accounting and tax presence uh, that is able to allow us to go deep on on tax matters. We have a a law firm and a state planning firm and a trust company that allows us to draft documents and and really address you know a variety of matters, whether it's secession or or estate planning uh, matters. So it's really, you know, trying to really create simplicity, ease, confidence, you know, for for our clients. And um, you know, we've uh, 
primarily grown organically, but we, we've also done 14 partnerships over time. I hate the term M&A. M&A is like big fish swallowing little fish. And, you know, that's connotated, you know, with, okay, go in there and, you know, cost save also known as fire people. And that's not what we're doing. We, we really, uh, we think of M&A as really a, you know, really a way for us to get great talents. It's allowing us to move into new markets without trying to greenfield um, when we're in a market, you know, M&A allows us to, you know, create density and double down in, in markets, become larger, you know, presence in, in key markets. And, uh, and last of all, we get, you know, new plays in our playbook or new capabilities, new expertise, you know, niche markets, you know, through partnering. So, so we really see, you know, inorganic as, as a way to, again, capture talent capabilities, uh, geography, because you know, the best people aren't sitting on the street corner waving a resume saying hire me. But yeah. you know, since I can't hire necessarily the best people, you know, we can partner with people. So so that's really how we think about it. And you know, what's kind of interesting is on the organic side, you know, you say what what's the number one organic strategy? It's inorganic, right? Because mm-hmm. or you know, when we we partner with firms, you know, and they're able to plug into our platform, our brand, our capabilities, you know, our specialists. Um, what we find is uh, firms that are often growing in, you know, single, low, middle, single digit growth, um, oftentimes triple their, their growth as a result of becoming part of a platform. So, and, and I think what's different is, is you know, we're, when, we, when we do our partnerships, you know, we're, we're not looking to buy a book of business and have people go to the beach, you know, and, and retire, right? Really, we're looking for people who can want to hitch wagons and do something bigger, better, smarter, cooler, more fun, more value creating for, for clients and for the members. Yeah. And be some part of something that is bigger growing um, and has you know, maybe a larger impact too. I think there's a lot that you just you know, described that I think is consistent with some discussion points we've had on RA edge interviews throughout the course of the year, but also we've done a tremendous amount of research over the last six months on M&A activity, growth activity overall. And the part that you mentioned about you know using M and A, even though you don't like the term, to acquire talent, we've talked about quite a bit. Um, we've heard people mention it's easier to acquire than it is to hire talent in this environment right now. Right. So I appreciate that you put that up there. That seems to be at least at the top two, top three, you know, in any or almost every um, acquisition that's taken place. I do want to get your uh, summary of what it is that you're looking for specifically when you're evaluating some of these partnership opportunities and you see a firm that's a good fit. Now, I saw in the news the other day that you just acquired or announced your fifth acquisition of the year. Uh, I think, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, was a little bit over uh, $1.1 in, in organic growth in 2022. So you're talking to a lot of firms, you're actively partnering with them. What's the What does a good fit look like for Simon? Yeah, you know, so so the opposite, I mean, here's, I, I, I'll first of all say what we're not interested in. You know, we're not looking for people that are just trying to create a liquidity event, get a check, you know, and go to the beach. And and so we're not looking to buy clients because whatever I'm paying is, is a lot, right? So I'm, what I'm really looking for is talent, you know, and, you know, people that are excited about a shared vision. And, you know, I, I, as I think about what we're trying to accomplish, we're, we're, we're kind of unique. There's, there's probably 20 to 25 platforms that are, that are trying to grow organically, you know, maybe have outside capital and are also doing M&A out there. And, you know, we're one of those, you know, but most of them are building, um, they, they got short time horizons, you know, they, they got traditional private equity, you know, and, and, you know, they're, 
time frame is two to five years. And so they're doing oftentimes supernatural things to pump them full of steroids, put them on a treadmill, making them run fast, and then sell them the highest bidder in a few years, using a lot of leverage, which isn't so fun lately for, for a lot of those firms. And um, that works really well to enrich, you know, that traditional private equity firm. Um, but it's not necessarily good for clients, and it's, it's not something I would want to own or be, be part of, right? I, instead, so we're, we're really saying we want to build one of the best operating companies, you know, a company that everybody wants to buy, but we don't want to sell because it's such a great company. You know, we want to create a company where it's not about, you know, short-term, you know, pump it up, you know, but rather, you know, let's create a sustainable, durable firm mm-hmm. um, that, you know, is long-term greedy, right? Like, how do we create a compound interest machine that can and grow 10 times in the next 10 years. You know, we, we just finished a, 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 a McKinsey project, spent a couple million bucks, you know, on, on really building this, you know, five-year organic and organic strategy. And, and our goal, you know, we're, we're about 110 million in revenue and our goal is to be 500 million, you know, in five years. Well, you know, if you, there's different ways to do that. You can just buy everything out there, you know, overpay for it, don't integrate it, you know, use a lot of leverage and then flip the Frankenstein to another private equity firm, you know, cross your fingers, the music doesn't stop. That's one strategy. And frankly, there's, you know, there's a lot of the, the current choirs out there. They've done that well. Um, to me, like, you know, I, I uh, Savant is a employee owned, employee controlled, 100% of the voting stock is, is owned by our employees. And we're in a position where, with our capital structure, we do have family office and some long-term outside patient capital, but they can't ever make us sell the company. They can't ever make us buy them out. You know, if we think we should turn the car right and they think we should turn the car left, we turn right, right? So it's it's building a firm that can compound and create big outcomes for our members, for our employees. And frankly, if we can grow 10 times in 10 years and do it in a very sustainable, durable manner, um, that's going to create a lot of ideal futures for our clients. You know, my I'm 55 and I, I figure I'm good for 20 years. You know, God help me, maybe longer, right? But you know, I you know I've done the math and it's like I think if we play our cards right, we can improve a million lives over the next 20 years. And we're not a nonprofit, so if, if we can materially move the dial on a million people, you know, that will allow us to become, you know, that, that'll be generous for us as well, right? So so as I think about who are we looking for. We're looking for people that are excited about, you know, not going away or selling for necessarily the highest check, right, for cash, but rather, you know, they're looking to become part of us, right? They're looking to merge into us. They're looking to take back a material piece of equity in our firm. You know, we've had partners that have invested almost, rolled almost 100% in equity and others that obviously they want to take chips off the table. But the idea is really to find true partners, you know, is evidenced by the fact that they're they're looking to be part of something for a longer period of time, that, where they're excited about rolling equity in and having multiple bites of the apple, and they're excited not just about a transaction, you know, and but rather, you know, being part of something really cool, really special. That idea of uh, not just return on investment, but return on impact is something we don't talk about a lot on our edge. So. Appreciate you talking about that million lives. I apologize. It's something else that sounded like you wanted to add there, Brent. No, I'm good. Let's, uh, I think I covered a lot of bases there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I also wanted to make sure that you talked about a lot of the different firms that you're currently working with, what the ideal fit is, and also just the different 
sort of stage that some of the firms that you're acquiring or partner might might be at. Um, the way it's been interesting to see so many deals that have taken place over the last several years, they're no longer just exit strategies. There's a lot of sell and stay. And with that, there comes a lot of growth opportunity for you know the right types of firms as, as you described. However, 2022, we saw markets obviously take a significant dive. Um, and everything that I'm hearing is that there still is a good amount of M&A activity, maybe slightly slowing down because of the drop in the markets. And obviously, there are other factors as well. Uh, cost of capital right, becoming uh, an inhibitor for a lot of you know, smaller or mid-sized acquirers, I'd say. Um, that said, I'd love to get a sense for where you think we are now in the RIA M&A cycle, given how much activity there's been for the last several years. And then as we head into 2023, believe it or not, I'd also love to get your views on what you think, not just the overall activity levels will look like, but what the composition of deals, mergers and acquisitions will look like next year too. So maybe we could start with 2022. Where do you think we are now in the RIA M&A cycle? I think think we're starting to see a rotation. You know, some of the, the buyers that were winning a lot, or in some cases overpaying a lot, um, now all of a sudden seem to be pulling their reins back. You know, why is that? Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, you know, acquirers that were doing a lot of deals, they were paying a premium, but they were also using a lot of debt, you know, before the financial markets started uh, going down, before we had, had a bear market and rising interest rates, they were highly levered. And, you know, obviously, as, as profits have gone down because of the market, at the same time, interest rates have gone up and the terms on, on debt have gotten less good. Uh, I think that's put, you know, a number of the platforms uh, in a world of hurt, right? And, and at a minimum, you know, they've got less dry powder, so they're being a lot more cautious about, you know, what they're buying. Uh, I think at the same time, you know, there's some other buyers out there um, that, you know, maybe didn't get as over levered or maybe have had more recent outside capital investments that seem to be accelerating. Now, I'll use us as an example. Historically, we did a deal a year. Last year, we did three. This year, we did five. I think we'll do seven to 10. We'll never do 20 because then you're just buying everything you can buy, you know, which is not good for a healthy, sustainable, durable business. So I think I think we're going to see if you compare 2021 versus 2022 and then 2023 i think we're going to see an evolution of who the buyers are you know some of the standard buyers will keep buying a little bit here and there but maybe not the same volume you're going to see some new names that are emerging that are are um you know stepping up i think also you know the, the, there were a lot of spent oil wells that have come on the market, you know, companies that weren't growing, that really didn't want to grow. They're just looking to have a payday. And, you know, frankly, a lot of those were trading at multiples that I, I, I uh, am challenged to understand. And again, I kind of understand it because if you're, if you got a short-term time horizon as a buyer, you know, you buy whatever you can and you don't worry about integrating it. It's a purely financial engineering but I think maybe some of that's going to slow down. In contrast, you know, what I'm seeing coming on the market increasingly isn't that person looking to retire and go away. We're seeing more and more, you know, owners of firms where they've got 10, even 15 years of runway left. What they're finding is, you know, they might be 750 million, they might be 500 million, they might even be a billion or, or 2 billion. But they're finding that it's hard to compete with the big platform companies. You know, they see the 
the wisdom of having deep tax bench and deep estate planning bench and trust capabilities and you know business succession capabilities. They see that, that that's really a differentiator as, as investments and financial planning become more commoditized. These specialist capabilities be, become it's easier to compete with these, right? And and so I th- think you're seeing a lot of firms that maybe they've been growing, they they make money, you know, their clients love them, but they're saying, how do we compete against the stunts of the world? And and so I think we're we're seeing more and more of those where they don't have to sell and they got a great business, but they're saying maybe we're better together. And uh, so I, I think that's part of what we're seeing as a rotation from spent oil wells, either they've already sold or they're not so appealing, you know, when capital is more sparse to, you know, high quality firms, you know, where, you know, they're far more curated and far more tailored partnerships, if you will. Sure. And, and I also want to make sure that we touch on outside of m just the broader growth opportunities that exist for wealth managers and RAs in particular. Um, you know, we talked, you mentioned before the goal of you know, influencing and impacting a, you know, another million individuals. Um, I, I really think, and we were just talking earlier this week about I asked the same question about the M&A cycle and where we were. I got an answer that I didn't want to use a sports analogy, right? But early morning, right, was was a good way of summarizing it. And I fully agree with that. Um, I think there are so many people, especially because of the environment that we're in right now, demographics um, that need professional financial advice. And while you've had a lot of growth from M&A, I think that there is a tremendous amount of growth opportunity for you and all of your partners and when you look at some of the growth that you've had organically over the last couple of years, and then you look ahead into 2023, where are you seeing some of the most success you know, organically and what's driving that? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there, there's a variety of channels. We, you know, we have become increasingly successful in, in the digital side of things, and we've always been aggressive on marketing. Obviously, the world is moving towards digital. That's become a source. Um, custodial referral programs, you know, this is a, a newer channel for us, but that's really accelerating. It seems that um, some of the custodians that, you know, are, are increasingly looking to the larger platform companies, yeah. you know, to, as opposed to having a bunch of small firms. So that's benefited us being in 25 locations and, and you know, being obviously a, a big uh, client of the, the custodians. I, I think, you know, the, the other sort of trend I'm seeing, and I, and I look back over the last 30 years, and I, I was doing this the other day because I had my 30th anniversary, and I was like thinking about all the phases of our business, how it's evolved. And, you know, I think back, we'll call it pre-savants, it was warehouses, right? And they sold stocks and they sold bonds for a commission. And then like our industry evolved to products. Think of it as packaged mutual funds that had a commission, right? And then it moved to services. Think of it as AUM for 1%, you know, doing asset allocation, rebalancing. And then it evolved again to wealth management that incorporated investments, which was more holistic, you know, that combined, you know, financial planning to create an experience, right? And so it's that experience, if you will. And I think the next generation, the next phase of this is transformational, like how to transform people you know, how to build ideal futures, how to, you know, think beyond the investments and the tax returns and legal documents and insurance policies 
think more in the context of, of well-being and what matters to you. What's your legacy? What are your values? What are your priorities? And and I think it's sort of like you know Mastercard. Like you know, it's not the money. It's you know, it's the experience that's priceless. Well, in this yeah. case, like if we can redefine ourselves, and this is what we're spending a lot of money on doing, is is really. In fact, we we just invested three million bucks in Australian fintech, and we're going to be investing a bunch more in that to really change, you know, create a digitalization of the vision, values, goals, priorities, legacy conversation. Because if if I think you know what what we're having a lot of successes is most of the people out there, the advisors out there, they're still talking investments and financial planning and. The reality is anybody can buy ETFs, you know, anybody can do asset allocation, anybody can buy Money Guide Pro or eMoney. That's not so special, right? But having those conversations about vision, values, goals, priorities, what matters to you, that's that's really important. So, so we're finding that by changing the conversation to start there and then build the plans and portfolios and then execute those. It's it's game changing, and you know it, it allows us to get more wallet share, it gets more referrals, it gets you know more retention, you know, and it, it's make it's differentiating us in things like co- the custodial referral programs because like that's a different you know value proposition than somebody that's selling an you know option overlay strategy. Sure, and I think that is a topic. Uh, I shouldn't even really call it a topic because it's not fully formed, but it is a conversation that I've been having. A little bit more frequently. Now um, we've had a couple of guests on firms that have wealth psychologists, for example, uh, right. that they brought into their firms to help train you know, their advisors and their teams, not just to how to how to be better you know, life coaches, um, but obviously with so much money transferring from one generation to the next, right? There are some complicated dynamics there sometimes, right? Um, yeah. So you know, I agree with you. I'm really interested to see how it evolves. Uh, I am curious, just to follow up question: How long do you think it takes to get there? You know, so I mean, we made this investment, and we're the we're now co-creating this platform in the United States. We're the first enterprise client. You know, frankly, uh, if you'd asked me that question a year ago, I would have said it's going to take you know five to ten years, and it may or may not work. I mean, mm-hmm. we had you know we looked at all the different technology out there, and and was there's not great portal technology. There's not yes. great technology that addresses the non-CFO spouse, you know, again, the, the softer matters, right? And if you think about it, the people that come into our profession, they got finance and accounting degrees. They're comfortable with numbers and standard deviations. They're less comfortable about lay on my couch and tell me about your life, you know, your childhood yeah. stuff, you know, and I exaggerate, right? But it's, it's that those soft conversations that are so invaluable that you learn how to do that after being 30 years in the business, that next gen, they, it's not natural to them. So, so we had, uh, you know, Rob Morrison, who's our chief innovation and strategy officer, and I, you know, we had looked at all the software out there, really cobbled this stuff together, and like concluded it wasn't out there. So we thought we were going to need to spend ten or fifteen million dollars and take at least five years to build it, and maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't work. And then we we encountered a, a firm out there. It was called Lumiant, you know, again in Australia. <laughs> And, uh, and it was like, wow, this is this is amazing stuff. It wasn't exactly what we had envisioned, um, and it really wasn't ready for for prime time. Um, so we came in and and uh, became their co-creator now, and um, and building this platform. That I think by the end of this year, we're going to have a world class client experience platform that that will be able to allow us to use the technology to shift the conversation 
to these transformational, you know, creating ideal futures discussions, the kind of, you know, conversations that Rob and I, you know, after having 25 and 30 years of experience, we learned at School of Hard Knocks, but like, you know, the beauty, I, I think the opportunity to go from being just a financial planner or investment firm to truly transforming lives, it's, it's about having those rich, deep conversations with clients, even when they weren't expecting that. And, uh, but being, you know, but then being able to scale that and deliver that across, you know, in our case, we're 25 offices now, I think five years from now, we'll be 50 offices, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be 30 or 40 billion, right? Like, so how do you deliver that experience? You need technology, right? It's you need to digitize these soft conversations and these ideal futures conversations. Yeah, I appreciate that, Brenton. I lied when I said that that was my final question. As you were kind of talking through Lumiant and some of the technology, I just had one quick final question as an add-on to that. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, technology will play a huge role in accelerating right um, your evolution and the transformation that you're talking about. But you mentioned talent at the beginning of our conversation. So I am curious, from a talent perspective, what do you need that you don't have right now? You know, you know what's, what's interesting is, uh, you know, as we've, in the last year, we, we brought on, you know, another minority uh, patient capital investor a year ago. And uh, the purpose of that was to really have additional dry powder to, to accelerate our growth. Um, it was, you know, to put us in a position where we had, you know, additional people in our corner to help us think about growth. And, you know, on the people side, you know, what we've come to realize is we're in a unique spot. You know, it used to be RIAs, you know, we're local RIAs working with local clients and local offices. And the bulk of RIAs are still that, you know, but we're now in a place being a platform company, you know, that's tech enabled, that's across many, that's building a real brand. Like, frankly, we can attract talent wherever it is. You know, and we don't have to be relegated to B talent or C talent in our local marketplace because that's all there is in some cases. We can go for A talent no matter where it is. And so as I think about where we're at, you know, we're we're gonna we're about 350 employees or so right now, and we'll be over 400, uh, you know, by the end of next uh, first quarter. The the beauty of that is um, as a national player, we can attract the best talent, and and they can be wherever they're at. But I also think about what do we need? You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we just finished a McKinsey uh, project and, you know, it's really how do we grow five times in five years? And like I said, we're over 300 employees now. You know, if we grow five times, I don't think we need five times the employees. Maybe we need three times the employees. So that would put us at a thousand. So it's really interesting is two, almost two thirds of our employees don't work for us yet. So So when you ask the question, what do we not have? Well, some of those I've identified. We've got like 52 job wrecks outstanding right now, you know, and that we're filling. It's hard in this tough market. But but what's interesting is I, I know of that, the two thirds of the people that don't work for us yet, you know, a lot of those are going to be advisors and client service people. You know, we're going to need more of those. We're going to have more clients. But there's a whole lot of roles that I haven't even thought of yet, right? I mean, when I look at some of the specialized expert role, you know, positions that I have today, I couldn't have predicted five years ago I would have even needed them or thought about them. And I think that's the biggest, you know, thing that I've noticed, like, you know, when you're small, you know, if you're 100, 500, even a billion, you're wearing a lot of hats. You got like, you wear 40 hats, right? And some of them look good on you, some of them don't, right? And the beauty of being larger, you know, 350 on a, on a path to a thousand employees is it gets far more specialized. The beauty of it is, is, you know, A, 
you, you can attract people that are highly specialized in more focused areas, you know, where they can leverage their unique ability. And a lot of times these specialists are a lot more expensive, but, you know, as, with, as a growing firm, you know, we can afford to pay them. We can get A players and afford to pay up for, you know, the best specialists. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but I think it's, it's, it's just saying looking forward, I, I know we're going to, you know, it's A talent as opposed to B talent. It's talent wherever it is, as opposed to, you know, local markets. And it's really being open to more and more specialization and, and roles that I can't even predict today, but I know will be really powerful and differentiating, you know, us in the future. I think that's a great place to end as well, Brent. So thank you so much for spending as much time on the podcast as you did. I think we covered some of the traditional lanes, but you know, wanted to make sure that we spent a little bit more time on your vision, which I give you a lot of credit for. Um, with There's a ton of financial engineering going on in your space, that is for sure. So to get a sense of what your vision is, what the purpose is for the company, I think is uh, very you know, informative, you know, educational, and also appreciated. So thank you for spending as much time here today as you have, Brent. I enjoyed it. Thanks. And congrats, congrats on the Savantiversary, of course, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's love, kind of crazy. 30 I years love that more than term. half my life. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Brent, thank you so much for joining us here today on the RIA Edge podcast. We touched on a lot of different topics and themes. And I should remind our audience that a lot of the topics that we've discussed here today we're actually now working into the agenda for the RIA Edge main event, which will take place May 21st through May 24th in Hollywood, Florida at the Diplomat Hotel. So mark your calendars and save the date. But again, Brent, thank you for joining us. Thank you to everybody for listening in here today. And on behalf of the wealth management team in Forma, I'm Mark Bruno. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.